Welcome to the new season of the Ditching Imposter Syndrome podcast with me, your host, Claire Yosa. And today I want to talk about something that's really topical, which is returning to the office, specifically five ways this can make imposter syndrome worse and what we can do about it. So as I'm recording this episode in October 2021, huge numbers of organisations are bringing their teams back into the workplace. We have members of the political elite in the UK using phrases like, let's get back to work. And lots of us are making it really clear we've been working really hard throughout the pandemic. But a lot of people are feeling under pressure to return to the workplace. A lot of organisations have picked a number of days a week or arbitrarily said you've got to go back in full time. Some of them luckily are offering flexibility, but even that is not enough to prevent hybrid working from triggering imposter syndrome. So let's set the context before I take you through five of the ways this can happen. Imposter syndrome is that secret fear of being found out as somehow not good enough or not belonging or that people made a mistake hiring you. And one of the ways I define it with my clients is imposter syndrome is the secret fear of others judging us the way we're judging ourselves. So when you're running imposter syndrome, there's an awful lot of judgment of yourself going on. This is different to evaluating our performance, which is up there on the imposter syndrome iceberg. You can find out about that on the show notes page if you don't know already, by the way. That's imposter syndrome podcast.fm forward slash 014. So evaluating our performance is up there at the skills, the capabilities level of the imposter syndrome iceberg, what we can and can't do. But imposter syndrome is about who we think we are. So it's down there at the identity level. It takes evaluating performance to judging ourselves. I did this badly, which means that I am not good enough, for example. So when we're scared that others are judging us, it can make us hypervigilant to look for perceived threats and times when we're being judged, even seeing them when they're not really there because we've wired our brain to see those rather than examples of us being praised. Brilliant news if you're running that and this is all feeling familiar to you. Rewiring your brain is part of what I teach in the podcast, more specifically in the Ditching Imposter Syndrome book. You can get started with that today and start creating breakthroughs in the next few hours. And another key factor at play here, if we're running imposter syndrome, it is super common that we think everybody else has got their act together and we are the only person feeling this way. The shame that that brings in means we're much more likely to hide the fact we're running imposter syndrome and hold off from opening up about it to a colleague or a loved one or a boss and not ask for help. And the final bit of context today, one of the other things that is hardwired into the body and the brain if we're running imposter syndrome is comparisonitis, comparing ourselves to others and judging ourselves as being lacking, forgetting that what we're seeing from other people is their masks and their armour on social media. It's their highlight reel as curated by the algorithm, yeah? That's irrelevant. So that is the context I want to start with here. We're judging ourselves. We're scared that others are going to judge us. We think we're the only one that doesn't have our act together, and we're hardwired to compare ourselves to others. So what happens with imposter syndrome? I talk about the imposter syndrome gap. It's the gap between who you see yourself as being and who you think you need to be to be able to achieve something or perform in your role, whatever it is you've chosen. Over that gap, 
we build what I call the bridge of coping strategies. If you go to Google for advice on imposter syndrome, it's pretty much all how to have better coping strategies rather than how to actually set yourself free from this. So that bridge of coping strategies, it might be nice and strong. It's much more likely to feel a bit rickety, potentially like a rope bridge over a ravine. And walking across it can feel really scary. It takes courage. What happens when there's a major change in life is the imposter syndrome gap can widen and the bridge of coping strategies that we'd built to handle it, to succeed despite it, is no longer enough. It risks falling into the ravine unless we put a huge amount of energy into desperately adding more planks to make that bridge longer to cover the new wider gap. So when something major happens, like shifting from working at home to being back in the office at least part-time after a pandemic, it can shift who we see ourselves as being, and the coping strategies that worked for us in the old situation are not likely to work as well for us in the new one. And as we'll see in a minute, some of these coping strategies can even make imposter syndrome worse. So five ways that returning to the office can make imposter syndrome worse. Number one, FOMO, fear of missing out. So many people are telling me they are scared that unless they're in the office every day and they're doing everything every evening to be sociable, that they're going to be missing out. They're going to be overlooked. They're going to be ignored. And this is a really important one for people running imposter syndrome. They're going to feel like they don't belong in the tribe anymore. One of the four Ps, the warning signs for imposter syndrome, is people-pleasing. So what I'm seeing happening is people people-pleasing more often to compensate for the fact that maybe they're not in the office as much as everybody else is or not on the same days. So this is actually reinforcing a destructive imposter syndrome behavior. Number two today, childcare. Okay. So many parents are finding that they're struggling with childcare. Schools might not be running as many after school clubs as they used to. Their childminder or childcare provider might have stopped working over lockdown and not come back. So a lot of parents are struggling, literally struggling to get into the office as often as being asked for, or they're having to leave earlier than some of their colleagues to be able to get back to pick up their children. And whilst their boss and the head of HR might be very supportive, people are scared. They're feeling guilty. They're feeling bad. They're feeling like they're not working as hard. So they're overcompensating for the shame they feel for being a parent and not having the childcare they need to be able to get back in the office for the full-time day. They're working evenings. They're pushing themselves too hard. And this can trigger another one of the four Ps, perfectionism, where we set our standards so unachievably high, we work our backsides off to achieve it. And if we do, we write it off as fluke or luck or a team effort. Number three today, hybrid meetings. This is where some people are in the meeting room and some people are on a screen that hopefully those in the meeting room can see. One of the challenges with imposter syndrome is people are less likely to speak up with their best ideas they're more likely to back down if they're challenged because it feels very unsafe to really speak up. What's happening in hybrid meetings is these people running imposter syndrome are even less likely to speak up. The meeting is so easy for it to be taken over by those who are physically present in the room. It takes really skilled facilitation to bring in the opinions and the thoughts and the voices of those who are hybrid. So one of the solutions here that some organizations are using is they're making everybody attend hybrid. 
But that kind of defeats the point of bringing everybody back in the office. So this needs to be really carefully managed because if somebody is already naturally, as one of their imposter syndrome coping strategies, not speaking up with their ideas, then having them as one of the virtual participants in a hybrid meeting is going to accentuate that particular coping strategy. Number four, lots of people have got into the habit of working super long hours over the pandemic because they'd blurred boundaries were there between home and work. I know so many people, particularly those who were juggling carer responsibilities or schooling their children at home, who would take time off during the day, but they'd be working from six in the morning till midnight to try and get everything done. Now, if somebody is running one of the four Ps of perfectionism or procrastination, where we use busyness to fill our time to avoid doing something that makes us feel unsafe with imposter syndrome, this is going to get accentuated. It causes us to work even longer hours because it impacts our performance and our productivity. So if somebody's got in the habit of working those super long hours in order to feel they were performing at a standard that meant they felt safe despite imposter syndrome, they weren't going to be judged or thrown out onto the street, we're now adding a commute back in for them. Where are they going to find those hours? And a lot of them are telling me they're really scared now that they're going to get found out as not being good enough because they no longer have the time to overcompensate for the fears that imposter syndrome triggers. And then number five, the last one for today, there are lots more, but I'm going to stick at five for you today. Now, this one is particularly relevant to introverts. And in that, I mean, in the Carl Jung sense of where do we get our energy from, from being around people or being quiet and on our own or with our loved ones, rather than whether somebody's shy or gregarious. People with a strong introvert preference, and it's a sliding scale, so you can be in the middle and have a bit of both. But about 40% of a workforce in Western Europe is running a strong introvert preference. They tend to get their best work done when they're on their own, in quiet, without interruptions. So whilst the pandemic and working from home has been challenging, even for the most extreme introverts, it's also allowed introverts, and I count myself as one of them, to get some of our best work done more easily than, say, an open plan office environment where you can be interrupted on a regular basis by colleagues. So for introverts, they've actually been able to use that working from home, as long as home supported that quiet working lifestyle, which not everybody's home does, to get better quality work done. Now that they're going to be going back into the office, a lot of them are experiencing anxiety that they can't keep up the old level of performance when they go back into office ways of working, which is making imposter syndrome worse for them. What if they find out I'm not good enough because I can't perform at the standard I used to when I could work in peace and quiet at home? So those are five ways that returning to the office can make imposter syndrome worse. And I'm not suggesting that everybody just works from home forever. There are ways to handle this. So on a corporate basis, one of the things that you can do is actually get your leaders training in how to spot the warning signs for imposter syndrome, how to raise the topic with someone, how to genuinely support somebody who's struggling with imposter syndrome to start the journey of turning it around one to one, moving beyond tea and sympathy 
so that they don't worry about raising the discussion and they have concrete, practical, inspirational strategies they can share with the person to help them start to move away from even needing the bridge of coping strategies. Doors have just opened for the next intake on my imposter syndrome first aid, a training that teaches line managers, HR professionals, business leaders exactly how to do that. And you can find the link for that at clareyosa.com forward slash first aiders. If we're looking at this on a personal level, if you're the person running imposter syndrome and you can feel that hybrid working or going back to the office is making it harder for you, there's a self-mentoring question I want to give you today. And it's one that you really need to look in the mirror and just dial down the mind story drama that we create for a few moments, okay? Is this really true or is it just imposter syndrome speaking? Is this really true or is this just imposter syndrome speaking? And that can help make sure that you're not accidentally self-sabotaging by feeding the coping strategies that can even make imposter syndrome worse. So I invite you to ask yourself that question right now. If there's something that you've been doing because you're trying to reduce the stress of hybrid working or a story you've been telling yourself, a worry, a mind story fear about going back into the office that's making imposter syndrome worse. Is this really true or is it just imposter syndrome speaking? And the just is in air quotes there because it can feel very real. But if we're really honest with ourselves, that question can start to unlock solutions. Obviously, I'm there to support you. It's why I wrote Ditching Imposter Syndrome, so that you can wave goodbye to this once and for all for less than the price of a pizza. Yeah? You can also join me on my Inner Critic Bootcamp program, which is at clayosa.com forward slash Inner Critic Bootcamp. Doors have just opened for the next enrollment for that as well. And I'd love to hear from you. How is hybrid working impacting imposter syndrome in your organization? And what could you do to support people to turn that around. The Ditching Imposter Syndrome podcast is here to bring you practical bite-sized inspiration to start setting yourself free from imposter syndrome once and for all. You can find every episode and plenty more imposter syndrome resources from Claire Yosa at ditchingimpostorsyndrome.com.